This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this virtual qualification recording of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous FA, recorded on Saturday, March 19th, 2022. I am a food addict from Massachusetts, and I will share my story of recovery from food addiction. So I'm very grateful to be here. I've been in program for 17 years and it still amazes me that I'm not done. I mean, there's no certificate or diploma and says, goodbye, you're on your way, have a nice day. It's not what this is about. It's about continual growth and awareness and you grow or you go, you grow or you go. And that has been the way that I've operated in this program. I came in when I was 24. I wasn't looking for a 12-step program. I wasn't looking for what this is. I just happened to find it. I grew up in Miami in a pretty well-to-do area. But even from an early age, I just, I wanted what the neighbor had. I had a tumultuous family situation. My dad was always angry and yelling at my mother for something. And my sister is seven years older than me. And I don't believe I was born a food addict, but I was raised by food addicts and the way that they sought solace, the way that they sought peace in their own life was by eating and by escapism. And I followed in their footsteps. So at a very young age, you know, initially I was into dancing and drawing and dolls and all that. But then at some point in my life, when I was younger, food just became really important. And I just remember my sister and I, you know, using food just to sort of check out a lot. And um, the way that my family sought solace was by eating in restaurants. So I don't recall my mom really making a lot of meals for us, but the time that my family was more um, calm was more calm was when we were out at a restaurant and the restaurants that we went to were restaurants that food was already on the table um, and where it was fast. So I went to a lot of fast food restaurants and I went to a lot of restaurants where food was already on the table. And as I mentioned before, I was a thin child, but then I just started to pack on the pounds. I just started to get chubby. My hair was frizzy. I was chubby. I, my name was weird. It was a weird name. And I just felt totally less than I was, I, I grew up with a, a type of religion, right? But there wasn't a lot of God talked about in my family. It was more just like, these are the formalities you do for the religion. So I went to a religious school and I just remember 
the kids from the religious school, they went to private school before. Um, it was like a, an after-school kind of program. And I just remember feeling so less than that I went to public school and poor me. And why don't I have this these kind of shoes and this kind of outfit? And I just wanted that perfect little private school outfit. And I wanted that perfect little name that they had and the, their hair. So that started like at a very, very young age, just wanting to just fly away, fly away from my family. And um, my mom and my sister were always constantly on diets. My sister was really into the theater world and she had to look a certain way. And so they started doing diets. Um, so I was exposed to diet culture around, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And, and since I started packing on the pounds, it made sense for me to start dieting with my mom and my sister. So I started going on diets, uh, primarily Weight Watchers when I was in the fifth grade. And, you know, I'd go to the, the meetings, uh, they would weigh me, they would give me some gold stars, I had the little pamphlets, the shaded boxes. And I also started exercising a lot. And I joined a gym, it was a woman's gym. So all the women were like a lot older than me. But my mom would take me before school, and even sometimes after school. And I just got on this hamster wheel of dieting and exercise at a very young age. And, and I think part of the reason why I was doing that was because I didn't want to get made fun of anymore. I started getting made fun of when I got chubby by the boys, mostly uh, at, at my religious school and then also at my public school. And I just didn't want to get made fun of. I didn't want to get made fun of for being fat. You know, I wasn't the biggest girl in the class, but for some reason they love to make fun of me. And the way that I escaped from that pain was by drawing and hating myself and hating who I was. And so diets offered a relief that maybe I too could be thin. Maybe I too could be popular. And, and so I did, I, I, I got thinner. Um, I exercised. Um, I ended up, I was, I grew up in Miami, as I said, and my sister was someone that I really relied on as, as another place to escape from the pain of my, of my mom and my dad fighting all the time. So she would drive around Miami in her car and we would go load up on food, um, at different like bodegas and like little markets and I just remember the escapism that felt, you know, but then I'd be like, oh no, now I have to work out. And my family also, my mom and my sister started wearing girdles. And I just remember wanting to have that girdle shape. And a girdle is like, keeps your body nice and tight. But I was only 12, 13 years old wearing girdles. And my first girdle wasn't even a girdle. It was a bathing suit. And so I just remember wearing a bathing suit every day because I saw what my sister and my mom were doing and I wanted to be compacted. I wanted to be tight like them in this little girdle. And I remember taking off my bathing suit sometimes and having like red lashes on my body from wanting to just be a certain, look a certain way. So the obsession started early, you know, around the age of 13, I 
it was a huge change for me. I really started developing. I um, got a lot, started getting a lot, a lot of attention from boys. I had figure out, figured out the exercise and the dieting, but my rage was intense. I had just picked up what my father, my father's rage. I had picked up anger towards my mom. I picked up a lot of self-hatred and, and I didn't have those words at the time. I was just hormonal. I was obsessed with boys, whether boys were going to like me. As far as school went, I could not focus. I was in a special school for theater, but it was just very hard to focus in general. So I cheated a lot. It was time for me to go to high school and my sister ended up moving to New York City to go to college. And this really devastated me because my sister was really that place of relief, that place of um, escapism for me. And when she left, it was just my sister, my mom and I together and my mom and my dad. And it just felt too overwhelming. And I would get into real verbal assaults with my mom and even sometimes some physical stuff would ensue and it was became violent. And I think my father could recognize that he at one point said, I'm going to call DSS. This is the extent of the insanity that that happened in when I was in my disease. And I ended up devising a plan with my sister where I would move to New York City and, and basically run away from home to go live with her. And it seemed like a very good idea at the time because the school that I wanted to go to in Miami, I did not get into the school. So New York was my other option. So I lied to my mom and my dad and said I was just going for the summer to New York City. I gathered all my papers from middle school and I ended up moving to New York City when I was 14, 13, 14 years old around that time. And I got into the school that I applied to there. And I basically called my mom and my dad and said, I'm not coming back because this is a better opportunity and I'm going to be living with my sister. And of course, there was a lot of pain there, a lot of trauma, just with my, with my the relationship with my mom and my dad. But, you know, my dad could recognize that this was a good opportunity. And I think he felt like it was not going to work for me to stay at home with my mom. So I did get support to stay in New York City. And I did go to the, the, the art school that I had auditioned to, uh, auditioned for. And when I got to the school, my placements to keep me thin were starting to dissolve. So the working out, the dieting, I didn't have that structure anymore. What I did start doing was smoking cigarettes because it seemed like everybody I knew smoked cigarettes. And then I did start smoking pot it, because again, it just felt like everyone, but it was really the people I gravitated towards. I gravitated towards the hippies you know, the arts are the super artsy types, the, the people with, with already having um, familial trauma. So because that's what I was attracted to. <laughs> and um, after school, I just remember doing drugs, really uh, smoking pot and, um, you know, just it, again, escapism. I don't remember a whole lot of actually doing work. <laughs> I remember a lot of trauma, uh, verbal back and forth with my sister. 
um, there was this constant threat that I was going to be sent back to Miami. And that terrified me. And the weight was still off, but because I was smoking pot, I started to gradually increase a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. And that terrified me, terrified me because I had finally lost the weight in Miami. I was popular. The boys liked me, but now I'm here in this school and I'm starting to gain the weight and, oh no, are they going to know that I was a fat child? They're going to make fun of me. I was very scared. And I basically around the age of 16 discovered bulimia from my sister. So I learned how I could eat copious amounts of food and then just throw it out, you know, throw it away, throw it away. And I would smoke cigarettes. I would smoke pot. I would throw up, repeat, repeat, repeat. And we did it as a family. You know, I did it with my sister. I did it with friends uh, of, of that are, were our friends. I started developing rashes on my face. I started to lose some of my hair, Um, but I love that feeling of bone sticking out and being thin because this was the time of of waif, the waif look, the the 90s. This is the 90s, the early 90s. And it was the thinner you were, the better. And my best friend was thin, was skin and bones, as they say. And I just wanted to look just like her. And we would go to department stores and go out And she would get stopped by modeling agencies and say, oh, your friend is so beautiful. You know, and I said, yep, I know. And I just wanted to be just like her. I just wanted to be thin. I wanted to be stopped by modeling agencies, but no one was stopping me. And I just wanted to get thinner. And I had jobs. I had a lot of jobs because part of the way that I was able to stay in New York City was by working. And if I was working, then my sister wouldn't send me back. So whatever I needed to do, whether it was to clean her house or take a job, I was very resourceful. And I started working at 14 at different stores. And by 17, I was managing a day spa with very high-end clientele. And I was, it was, I was way over my head. And I was um not only lying with the food because I was bulimic, but I was also cheating in school. I was getting into theft. I was getting into stealing money. So a lot of dishonesty, a lot of dishonesty. And that's what followed me in this disease. I also started doing heavier drugs such as acid and other hallucinogenics, mushrooms, things like that. I started going out a lot to different clubs with my sister and basically not having a high school experience. I am a former high school teacher and I saw the way some kids, you know, ended up going through high school. And I was like, that is, was definitely not my experience at all. And I grew up really fast. I had a lot of boyfriends. I was very sexual. I sexual, you know, had sexual experimentation, And by the age of 17, 18, things really started to erode in that I really needed to figure out what my next steps were because high school was over. And I said to my sister, well, I'm just not going to go to college. By the grace of God, I was able to get into a college based on a lot of lying, actually. I'm not, I'm not feeling very proud about that, but I, I lied my way into a college. And 
the relief was I ended up at this college and it was just a solace away from my sister. Cause my sister and I were just at each other's, you know, at each other's wits sometimes. And I also had to work so much when I was in New York city that getting to college was like a relief. Cause now I'm like, Oh my goodness, I don't have to work. This is fabulous. <laughs> and all they wanted me to do was study. And I really embraced that. I really embraced the studying. I really embraced the educational part of that journey. And I learned how to read. I learned, I mean, I knew how to read, but really read, do a thesis and do paragraphs and papers and all this stuff that I just missed. I missed in high school because I was too busy in the disease. But, you know, there's a saying in recovery, wherever you go, there you are. And it's true. I was the same way in this college environment that I was in New York, except it was a different environment. So I was still bulimic. I was still exercising a lot. I was still very promiscuous with men. I lied. I was still doing all those things. But I had friends. I was a life of the party. I did a lot of drugs. So I could mask it with popularity and being fun and looking the part. You know, I looked presentable. I looked cute. I could wear, you know, cute clothing. But I knew inside I was I was dying. It was it, I was a, an addict. I was an addict and I and I had to get high. I had to drink. I had to escape. I had to be promiscuous with boys. It was like there was I had no choice. I had, to, I had to be an addict. <laughs> I ended up going to another college after that and having really profound experiences of traveling to India, going to London, you know, doing my best, making friends. But then I always had this thing on my shoulder. Like even in India, I had, I had to binge, you know, even in London, I had to binge. When I came back to school, I had to, I had to get it out of my system. I had to, I had to eat and then purge. I had to exercise. I had to smoke all the pot. I just couldn't stop. I could not stop. So the party really ended. The party really ended when college was over and I did not know where to go. I was lost completely lost. And I had, I had a choice. I could move to New York city again. I could also move to Boston and I had a boyfriend. I always had boyfriends. That was not hard for me to acquire a man. It was like an obsession for me to have a boyfriend all the time. Cause I was again, filling that whole so I had a boyfriend and I moved in with him to Boston and my world just completely crashed down. I found out that I was in tremendous amount of debt from my family. I'm not going to go into the details, but there was a lot of lying and deceit within my own family that caused me to have a burden of debt out of college. So I was paralyzed with fear and I didn't know where to go. I was at my highest weight probably, which was 145 pounds, but as a bulimic, I might as well have been obese. I definitely thought about not living. 
Boston was wrong for me. It wasn't cool enough. It wasn't diverse enough. I wanted to move back to New York. And that's when God works, right? God works when you're at your most desperate place. And I tell you, that's, that's when FA came into my life. And I wasn't looking for it as I had shared at the beginning of this qualification. I was not looking for this, but it found me. And I met somebody in FA. He told me about it. He was my boss. <laughs> I was interning at a company because I thought I wanted to be in a specific field. He was the owner of the company and he had lost a bunch of weight. He told me how he lost it and that it was a program. And I was thinking it was like Weight Watchers or The Zone or Atkins, which I had tried in the past. I did Atkins when I was at the height of my bulimia. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'm willing to try it, willing to try anything. And I went to a meeting and, you know, this is where FA started, where I live. And I am so grateful because even being in the room with people who had so much recovery, you know, at the beginning of this program, it was so amazing. Because if I think I walked into a room where people were not abstinent, I think it would have been hard for me to really see the benefits. But I heard so much peace. I heard so much connection to a higher power. And I didn't have those words. I didn't have a connection to a higher power. I didn't have any of that. I saw bright eyes. I saw groundedness. I saw people actually paying attention. And I am coming from severe lack of attention, severe. So all that was really attractive. So I ended up getting a sponsor. I was 24 years old. I was terrified of changing myself, even though I was miserable in my own skin. And she said, call me at this time. You know, it was very early. And I, some mornings I would roll over, give her a call, go right back to bed, you know, eat my breakfast, go right back to bed. You know, in the beginning, I just did not get it. You know, I was, I think I was still smoking pot. I think I was still smoking cigarettes. I was definitely abusing sodas and, you know, gums. And, you know, I was just holding on by a thread. And what always occurred to me, you know, was just to try, just keep going, keep trying. And I really worked the tools. I really worked the tools. I did not have a car. And it was in the beginning of, of these days, it was four meetings a week in person. And I, I was like, I cannot do this. I don't have a car. And there's not a lot of public transportation here, but I got rides from people. People would pick me up from train stations. <laughs> um, and I made connections, really good connections with people because I asked for help. And I rode my bike all around, all around to go to meetings. And I really tried to stay connected three calls a day. And for me to get from breakfast to lunch, lunch to dinner was excruciating sometimes. I would look at the clock where it go tick, tick, and I would just wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. But I, every day would, it would get easier and easier. And I had some bumps along the way. I had some breaks, but I never left. I never left. And I always kept asking God for help and developing that connection with a higher power. 
and knowing that I was growing as long as I just don't eat, I can grow. I can, I can live this life and repair the relationships with my family, repair the past. I will not shut the door in the past nor regret it. So I could look at it. And so I worked something called AWOLs, which is a a closed study of the 12 steps and really could look at my character defects. I I took a non-dating commitment for a year not to date men because men were were a drug for me. The way that I used men was addictive. I stopped throwing up. I started weighing my food and was honest. When I said 4.0, I meant 4.0. I called my sponsor no matter what. Even if I had gone out that night with my 20-something-year-old friends and they were dancing and partying and drinking, I would still call my sponsor at six in the morning. And then maybe I'd go right back to sleep. But I had the willingness to change because I got better. I got better and I couldn't resist. I couldn't ignore that. So flash forward, I ended up going to grad school. I ended up going to Harvard and studying and being on Dean's list. I ended up getting into a very healthy relationship with a man. I ended up getting married. I ended up having two children in recovery, abstinently. In 2019, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a genetic breast cancer. And throughout the whole journey of breast cancer, I relied on my fellowship. I did meetings in my hospital bed. It was the time of the pandemic. So there was meetings, Zoom meetings in the hospital bed. So I could do that. And, and then in 2021, I was, the breast cancer had spread to my brain and I almost died. And again, I really relied on this program for support and, and really relied on my higher power, which is what I call God to get me through the darkest of times, the hardest of times without eating, no matter what. So this program is the foundation of everything in my life. If I am not abstinent, I cannot have that connection with the higher power. I cannot be in that spirit. I cannot be free in my mind. This program is a God gift to me. And if you're new, or if you're listening to this and you're struggling, just don't give up the miracle. Know that this works. You just have to do it a day at a time. It is the most beautiful thing to live in the life of recovery and to really walk with the shine of your higher powers, light on your face on a daily basis. Doesn't mean things don't pop up. Doesn't mean there aren't moments that are hard. I just had a few very close people dying this week in my life and a family member in hospice. Things can be hard. There's no doubt about it. Doesn't mean we need to eat over it. We have the tools. Gratitude is everything. Thank you so much for listening to my qualification. I am so grateful that you're on this journey and path, and I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.